Good morning. It's been a while since, since I've been up here. It's really great uh, to, to be back and to be able to, to share from God's Word this morning. Um, I need to apologize at the outset. I've left my glasses in Aberdeen. Uh, <laughs> so I, I might be in and out a bit like this, but uh, we'll, ju- we'll just push on through. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm, lucky for, I'm lucky for you that you have me both this morning and tonight, so uh, I don't know what you think about that, but you're just going to have to suffer through. Uh, this morning and this evening, we'll be looking at the first chapter uh, of Paul's letter to the Galatian church. Uh, but before we, we get into, into that, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we can come together, Lord, and that we can worship you here. And we just give you thanks, Lord, for, for your love for us, Lord. We thank that you are a good, good Father. And we ask, Lord, that this morning as we look at your word, that you would reveal something afresh to, to each of us and that we would grow closer to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are certain times in life when we need to realize that enough is enough. And we need to know where maybe we take something a bit too far. We need to know where to draw the line. I've been criticized in the past few months. Uh, Not actually just me. All the the male leaders in the youth work in Aberdeen have been criticized for taking jokes too far. Uh, Really, it's just good fun, but the female leaders don't see it like that. Uh, we went on a youth weekend to Aviemore, and I don't know if anybody's been in Aviemore, but it was back in October we were there, but there's this little roundabout on the way out of the town, and just beside the roundabout, there's a really, really nice Italian restaurant. I think it's class. I took Rebecca there. I don't think she was a big fan, but I think it's great. Anyway, we went on this youth weekend, and we decided it was a t- you pay £10, and it's an all-you-can-eat type thing, so there's pizza, and there's pasta, and there's loads of stuff. Uh, so we took these young people, in October, and there was one guy with us, it was his first ever weekend away, and I'll not tell you his name, child protection and all that, Scott will get me in trouble. Uh, we took him away, first weekend away, and he's a bit, a bit of a strange character. He hasn't really, he's only in first year, he hasn't really fitted in with the group just yet, he's still sort of trying to find his place in the food chain of where he, he fits in. But we went, and all of us leaders were like, right, see you see you see if you can eat as ma- 30 slices of pizza you will be an absolute legend and we were trying to get him to eat as much pizza as he possibly could and he's like yeah yeah, yeah i'll eat all this pizza i'll eat this pizza so like yeah go for it kid you go for it and glenn johnson was there he was speaking at the weekend and he was like yes come on come on you can do this so that he goes in straight up to the, to the the where they serve the food and he's loading this pizza onto the plate and i'm sitting and i'm thinking that is disgusting what's going on there <laughs> and he's throwing this pizza on the plate and he's clearly never heard about pacing himself because he went in and he was just shoveling it in. He was eating it faster than the chefs could cook it. And by 15 slices, he was starting to fade. And he was like, oh, I really don't know if I can do this. But we were encouraging him, come on, you can, you can do this. And by 20 slices, the rest of the young people were utterly horrified with what was going on. They're like, we're here for a weekend away. We don't usually get out for dinner. We thought this would be a nice meal. And he's sitting there in the corner gorging on this pizza. And it was all down his chin, and it was, oh, it was an absolute mess. And by 30 slices, when the time we reached 30 slices, I say we, because by 30 slices, it really was a team effort to get him over the line. By the time he reached 30 slices, he ran straight into the bathroom. I don't know what went on in the bathroom. Don't want to know. But the rest of the weekend, he really wasn't right. Uh, yeah, really. And the leaders, the other leaders, the, the girls were looking at us and just shaking their heads in disgust, thinking, you boys need to wind your necks in. And on the same weekend, I'll tell you this quickly, on the same weekend we did a nightline 
uh, as one of our evening activities. Put the blindfolds on, the young people were led string around trees and stuff, so they had to sort of feel their feel their way in the dark uh, to try and lead each other around this thing. And we thought it would be absolutely hilarious if one of us dressed up as a clown and jumped out to scare the life out of them when they took the blindfolds off. So I went into Aberdeen before I went to the, away on the weekend to this uh, fancy dress shop, and I said, right, I need this, this, this. So I bought the full clown outfit, 70 pound, best 70 pound we've ever spent. We just <laughs> took it out of the youth work budget. Uh, bought this clown outfit. So they were, these young people were trying to lead themselves around this. And we waited until they were all finished and we gathered them all together. Um, we didn't let them take the blindfolds off. And then I hid in this bush thing and sort of, I'm sort of half stuck in the bush like this. And then they took the blindfolds off and I jumped out and screamed at them. And I have never, it went off perfectly. It was absolutely brilliant. They were screaming, they were running about. One fella turned and just ran straight into a tree. And he, he was up all night vomiting with a headache and stuff. But it was only after that that the, the girl leaders again said, boys, you know, some of these young people have really deep-seated emotional scarring and have had traumatic experiences in their childhood. And some of them really don't like clowns. This was not a good idea. But the point is, we need to know when enough is enough, whether that is eating enough pizza or maybe not jumping out and scaring the life out of all these young people. We should have known where to draw, to draw the line. And in this morning's passage, uh, Paul sees that there's trouble in the Galatian churches. He sees that oh, things are going wrong. There's theological issues uh, at play here, and really they're not going on strongly with the Lord. And in this letter of Galatians, Paul is saying to the church, right, enough is enough. It's time to get this sorted out and sort yourselves out. Enough is enough. In fact, he's actually saying more than that. He's saying, folks, Christ is enough. Christ is enough. There's lots of stuff going on in these, church, in these Galatian churches at this time. And Paul's saying, Christ is enough. And we'll read the first 10 verses this morning of Galatians 1. And this evening we'll, we'll cover the last, the last verses. So Galatians 1, 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, not from ma- ma- men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. This is a great passage. It's full of all sorts of stuff that would really help us, full of lots of truths that would help us in our walk with the Lord. Uh, The Galatian church was in a bit of a sorry state. Paul had visited this place in one of his missionary journeys and he had established churches over the region. And now we see, uh, when he writes this letter, he wrote letters to all churches really. Most church, a lot of churches that he visited, Paul would write letters to them. And he does the same with the church in Galatia. But 
the difference is the tone of this letter is a bit more harsh and a bit more straightforward than a lot of the other letters. The Galatian church had been infiltrated by these false teachers known as Judaizers who were teaching all sorts of nonsense. They were saying, right, in order for someone to be saved, in order for someone to receive salvation, they need circumcision, you need to obey the law of Moses, definitely do that, you need to do this, 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 and this. They were adding all sorts of nonsense to the gospel. And more than that, they also denied Paul's apostleship as well. And they says, hey, this guy's not an apostle. This guy, he's a nobody. And they denied his apostleship and his authority. And the main issue here is that the gospel was under attack in Galatia. And Paul's big idea in chapter 1 of this letter is to present a defense of the gospel. And he does it by saying, do you know what? Christ is enough. Christ is all you need for your salvation. And Paul's plea to these believers is that the Lord Jesus should really be enough for them and that they need nothing else added on top of that. And in this few, these few verses, Paul sort of lays out a few things that tell us that Christ is enough. Christ is enough because, firstly, he delivers. This letter begins, it seems like a pretty normal epistle. Paul introduces himself, he says, Hi, I'm Paul, and he does the normal blessing, you know, grace and peace to you. However, there's more that meets the eye. This isn't a normal introduction at all. Paul starts with immediate, with an immediate defense of his apostleship. These false teachers in Galatia, they're challenging Paul's status as an apostle. So the, to combat this, Paul opens in verse 1 with Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's saying, right, I'm Paul, and I am an apostle. And just so you know, I didn't make myself an apostle. No man made me an apostle. Men didn't save me. Only Christ has saved me, and Christ has made me an apostle. So this is a clear message that Paul sent into the church and to these false teachers, that if you want to deny me, Paul, uh, an apostle, then you will be denying the apostle maker, who's Christ. We know that in the book of Acts, Saul, as Paul was previously known, it all gets a bit confusing sometimes, Saul and Paul, we need to find out when all this was happening. In the book of Acts, before he became a Christian, he was persecuting the church, and this guy was going around violently attacking the believers. And on the Damascus road, on his way to Damascus to, to persecute Christians, uh, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus, and he is completely transformed, completely renewed, and during this uh, conversion experience, Paul is blinded, or Saul at that stage was blinded uh, by the Lord. And the Lord says to a believer in Damascus called Ananias, he says, go, go to Paul, go to him and tell him and heal him. But Ananias is sort of quite rightly a bit nervous about the whole thing. But in Acts 9, let's read what, what the Lord says to Ananias. Acts 9 and 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. The Lord names Paul as his chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is Paul's defense in this first introduction here. This is his defense. They cannot accept Christ and not accept Paul. If they deny Paul his apostleship, then they deny Christ the authority to make apostles. So this is a pretty strong beginning here. This is a pretty strong introduction he starts with. And then he goes on, he says, to the churches of Galatia. He isn't dealing with just one congregation, sort of like, like this. He's dealing with 
several congregations in the region. And he writes that there's other believers with him. So this is a message from Paul, an apostle, and the other believers with him. So not only is he writing this, he's not just writing this of his own authority. He's been made an apostle by Christ. And even the other Christians and other believers are involved with this. And they're writing to the church of Galatia. And Paul points out three key things in his introduction. The first is that we live in an evil age. And the second is that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and to deliver us from that evil age. And the third thing is that it is in God's will. We live in an evil age. Christ came to deliver us from that and deliver us from sin. And this was all in God's will. This is a gospel proclaiming introduction. He doesn't, he just goes for it right from the outset. He doesn't hold anything back. He says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle of Christ, and this is the gospel. He starts this letter by reminding the the Galatian churches of the gospel and reminding them that Christ is enough because Christ is the one who's delivered them and lifted them out of this sin and delivered them from the evil age that they're in. This was a wicked, wicked time that the church was living in, a wicked society around them. And I was thinking about this passage and I thought, you know, this actually isn't any different at all to our circumstances now. The world around them, was absolutely no different to the world around us. Society is broken with sin, with injustice, with anger, with hatred. And the world is constantly pulling us as Christians. It's constantly trying to pull us away from Christ. And we are constantly getting bombarded with all sorts of stuff, this transgender stuff, this homosexuality, sexual immorality, drunkenness, or this obsession with self, obsession with with wealth. This is an evil age. But if you're a Christian this morning, then Christ has delivered you from that. And he has reached into your life and he's lifted you out of that evil age and out of the things of this world. And he set you on a new course, a course, uh, we, a new path that we can follow, follow him. He's reached into our lives and he's lifted us out. And his death on the cross has broken the power of sin in our lives. And yes, we're going to struggle against that. There will be that fight with the flesh, with our old nature. But Christ has ultimately set us free and he will work in us to make us holy. And if we think back to Romans 6, we, are, we do receive that new life from Christ. And when he returns, we will be made perfect. I wonder, can you remember back to that first time when you became a Christian? When that, that first time when you experienced this deliverance that Paul talks about? And I wonder what Think back to what you were delivered from. What was your life like before Christ set you free from that? When someone trusts in Christ for the first time, it brings absolute and complete joy. And I think everybody here who's a Christian can testify to that, that the joy and the rejoicing that we receive is indescribable. And maybe you've forgotten this morning that Christ delivers. Life is busy. Life is, is hectic, and we've all got busy schedules. And it it can be so easy to put God on the back burner while we prioritize other stuff, while we focus on maybe our careers or our relationship with other people. It can be so easy to put God on the back burner. Folks, we need to be focusing on the Lord and on the fact, it is a fact, that he has delivered us from sin and delivered us from living under the oppression of this evil age. This is something that we should be shouting about and we should be singing about and we should be praising God for, that we have been delivered. But despite this truth, 
It's so easy for us to, to lose that thrill or that joy of our salvation. Paul was trying to get these believers excited again about the Lord Jesus and excited about the fact that Christ is enough for their salvation because he has delivered them from sin. Throughout Scripture, God delivers many people. We could stand here all day going through lists, lists and lists of people that God has delivered. Think of Naaman delivered from this leprosy. Jonah delivered from death from the belly of the fish. Peter delivered from prison. And today, we, if we are Christians, we have been delivered from sin and all that that ties us to. And I want to encourage you this morning, just as Paul encouraged the Galatians, that Christ has delivered you. And it's only through his death and resurrection that we can have deliverance and we can rejoice. Praise God that we are delivered. We couldn't deliver ourselves. Nothing we can do can, can save ourselves. It's only through Christ. He is the great deliverer. He is enough for our salvation. So, Christ is definitive. It's the second point. Christ is the final answer to our salvation. He delivered us and he is definitive. We need nothing else. Nothing else we can add. Nothing else the church in Galatia can add and can save us. Let's read verses 6 through to 9 of Galatians 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul usually, after these introductions in his epistles, sort of commends the church. Maybe it's for their faith or for their, their love for one another. But we see absolutely none of this here. He skips this niceness and he skips straight to the fact that he is absolutely astonished at what is going on here. He's completely taken back by the behavior of the Galatian church. Your translation may say the word astonished or it may say the word marvel. He marveled at, I marvel at what's going on here. That's quite a good word. I I have pictures in my head of Paul sort of sitting, getting the news that the church are turning away from the gospel, that things are going on in this church and him being absolutely gobsmacked about what's happening here. astonished he can't believe what is going on that's a big that's a, a big word to be for paul who is so vocal and so in your face almost about the gospel for him to be completely astonished about what is going on is a big thing paul had spent time preaching here and teaching these people about the gospel that he mentions in his introduction and about the gospel that changes lives and now these people are turning away from that they're turning to something else they're being impacted by these people around them so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This was more serious than it would seem. They weren't just deserting the message of the gospel. They were deserting him who called them. They were deserting God. Yes, Paul gave the message of the Lord Jesus to the church, but it wasn't Paul who called them. It was primarily God who called them to faith. They and us have been called in the grace of Christ. And God didn't have to reach out. He didn't have to to save us, but he chose to. Whenever man turned their back on God, God didn't have to save us. He didn't have to say, oh, I'm going to have to help these boys out here. No, he wanted to. It was in grace that he reached out and he sent Christ to 
to pay the penalty for sin. He didn't have to send Christ to suffer for us, but he chose to. And that's something that we need to rejoice about, folks. And keep in mind that God wasn't obliged to save us, but he chose to. And this grace is a free gift, this, and this, it's a free salvation that we do absolutely nothing to deserve, but God has offered it to us anyway. But the Galatian church were turning their back on it nonetheless. This great gift, they were turning their back on the gift of salvation, and they were turning their back on God. They were being fed all these lies by false teachers, these Judaizers. They were saying, right, you, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this and this and this and this and this. How many people have heard this sort of thing? You can go on in Christian circles where people say, oh, you need to do this. You need to act like this. Oh, this isn't the way for a Christian to behave. You need to do this, this, and this. It's almost as, as if they're taking notes uh, from these false teachers in, in the Galatian churches. And... This wasn't being force-fed on the Galatians. This wasn't being forced down their throat. They were willingly accepting this nonsense. Folks, we need to be careful with who and with what we're listening to. The internet, for all its good points, is a dangerous place. And so, so many so-called churches and Christian websites are filling our news feeds with spiritual garbage. And we need to be careful with what we're listening to. We're being bombarded with false teaching left, right, and center. And not just the internet. There are some people who blatantly come into churches and are talking absolute nonsense and teaching falsehoods. And then there are some who infiltrate, and this is probably the most dangerous false teacher, some who infiltrate quietly and are seeking to, to sort of work things from the inside. Who are we spending time with? Are the people that call themselves our friends, are they spiritually beneficial to us? I would encourage each of you, and I've had to do this myself, I would encourage each of you to take, take note of those who are spending time with and who we're listening to and ask ourselves, does what these people say, does what the advice that they give us, does this stand up against Scripture? Paul outlined the gospel in his introduction, and he was quite clear with the Galatian churches, if anybody is turning their back on this, if anybody's teaching falseness, let them be accursed. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it twice because it's such a serious issue. He says, if anybody is turning their back, let them be accursed. Paul isn't, isn't holding back here. He is absolutely going for it because he knows that this issue is serious. He says it first in verse 8 and then in verse 9. Paul was completely convinced that Jesus was the definitive answer and that anybody else who was preaching anything else should be accursed. Jesus was the final plan, the final, the final point in our salvation. Nothing else added to that could save us, only Jesus Christ. And this word that Paul uses for accursed, uh, it's in Greek, uh, it's called anathema. And this is a really serious word. He couldn't probably use any stronger language. Uh, this, these false teachers, let them be anathema, completely cut off under God's punishment, uh, cursed and sentenced and have judgment poured upon themselves. Folks, please, please, please make sure that whatever you hear and whatever you're listening to and whatever people try and say to you and whoever you're spending time with, make sure that it stands up against Scripture, against the final and true and perfect definitive gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Don't be fooled by these sweet talkers and stand firm on Christ. He is definitive. He is the final stop in our salvation. And that is something that we also need to rejoice. That Christ has delivered us and that he is the definitive answer to our salvation. This is a serious threat to the church. It was in the time of the Galatians and it is now. Folks, be wary and keep an eye out. Christ is all we need for salvation. And if anyone tries to tell you any different or add anything else onto the gospel, let them be accursed. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, that's a well-known verse. I'm sure you all, you all know it. Let me just find it here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture, the gospel, is from God. Anything that we add is completely worthless. The gospel is from God and it should be trusted. It and Christ is enough for our salvation. So Christ is enough because he's the definitive answer to our salvation. And he delivers us from an evil, this evil age, and the sin in our lives. And he lifts us out of the brokenness that, we, that we're in and sets us on a new trajectory. He is the final answer to our salvation. No false teacher or false teaching can add anything to save us and they can't take away from the gospel. He is enough to save us. But the final thing we learn about the Lord Jesus from this passage is, firstly, he delivers. Secondly, he's definitive. And thirdly, he demands. He demands a response. And as Christians, we really need to be thinking about what our response will be. Paul asks uh, in verse 10, he asks, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul asks this question, who am I trying to, who am I trying to serve? I'll be under no illusion. The Galatian church knew exactly who Paul was going to serve, but they've been fed lies. Of course, of course Paul didn't care about pleasing people. And I think this is a big thing for us. Sophie's little children's talk there was quite good. She said about lifting the weights and stuff because this woman's lifting the heavier weights so I lift the heavier weights or I'll dance a bit faster because they're dancing faster or whatever. We constantly try to please people. We constantly try to, to match other people, whether that is our, our pastors, our elders, our employers, or we people maybe, maybe we look up to, or people that we lead. Maybe we're a leader in something and we, we're trying to please the people that we're leading or maybe our friends. We're constantly trying to please people. And let me put it to you that if Christ is enough for our salvation, if Christ is enough for our salvation, then we should automatically be standing with him. But this so often isn't the case. It's so often the opposite, in fact, that yes, Jesus has saved us, but we aren't going to stand with him and say he is my Lord and my Savior. Jesus demands a response from us. He demands to know whether we stand with him or stand against him. And the reason we often don't stand with the Lord Jesus is because we have this tendency to be completely obsessed with ourselves and be completely obsessed with other people, of, with other people of what they think about ourselves. We've forgotten that we've been delivered from sin and we've forgotten that we've been saved uh, from an eternity of punishment. 
we have forgotten that Christ is the start, middle, and end of our salvation. And that he deserves our absolute allegiance. And because we have forgotten these things, uh, we lose focus on the Lord and our focus shifts to focusing on ourselves and other people. We focus on other people and we seek to, to look good in their, in their eyes. Maybe you're, there's, a, there's a few different types of people. Uh, one group of people, they come to church on a Sunday and they're, yeah, hallelujah, days of Elijah, waving their hands in the air, and they absolutely love it. And then the rest of the week, they're maybe not living the life of a Christian. Or maybe there is the person who, in their private life, are really devoted. And they're spending time praying and reading. But as soon as they enter into the public sphere, they're like, oh, I'll just keep this quiet. I'm not a Christian. I'll just, oh, I don't want to get into conversation with anybody about this. Because they're scared of what people will say to them. People will speak and people will We'll talk about them, maybe, if, if, I, if I say I'm a Christian. They're quite openly following Jesus in their private life, but in their public life, they're, uh, they're more quiet. And that's because we have fear of people. We've forgotten that we have been delivered. We've forgotten that we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus, and we're scared of what people will think. We start to worry if we have to, we're all right being Christians at home and in church, but as soon as we go outside and we have to tell people and make a stand for the Lord Jesus, as soon as we do that, that's going to have an impact on us. We start to worry whenever we realize that the gospel is going to cost us something. So we don't focus and we don't stand with the Lord Jesus. And there are people then who pro profess to be Christians and they seem to be doing all the right things. They're serving in church. They're doing ministry stuff. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're going to Bible studies. They're posting the Christian stuff all over their social media. Um, and they seem to be doing all the right things. But yet, they're still happy enough to go out and to drink and to get drunk rather than say, no, I'm standing with the Lord Jesus. Or they're still happy enough to talk about absolute filth in the office rather than say, no, I stand with the Lord Jesus. We can easily fall into the trap of living double lives and we can easily lose focus of the Lord Jesus. And we might think that we are living lives that oh, nobody else can really see how I'm actually living. But actually in reality, other people can see that we're living hypocritical lives. And more importantly than other people, God can see how we're living. Folks, we need to decide if we're going to live like the Galatian church and turn, turn our backs on God and do our own thing and add bits and pieces to the gospel and turn it into something that's not. We only need to decide whether we're going to live like that or if we're going to live and stand with the Lord Jesus and to say, no, this is the gospel. This is my battle cry and this is how I am going to live my life for the Lord Jesus. People say that this letter to the Galatians uh, was a letter to legalists, which really it is a letter to legalists because they're adding bits and pieces on the, the gospel. But more, I think, primarily it is a gospel or it is a letter to prodigals. It's a letter to people who have turned their back on God. Have we turned our backs on God? Have we decided that we're going to oh, do our own thing? And yes, I'm going to say I'm a Christian, but I'm actually going to try and please people. 
Have we turned our backs on him or have we decided to stand with Christ? He is enough for us and he demands a response. I hope you've been challenged this morning. I've been really challenged this week preparing this. Um, I've had to consider my Christian life and I hope you will consider your, your life as a Christian. Life is full of enough is enough moments. Whether it's, for, whether it's forcing a child to eat 30 slices of pizza or jumping out and scaring the living daylights out of them as a clown. During life, we need to decide when enough is enough. And in the same way, this morning we need to realize that Christ is enough. He is enough for our salvation. He has delivered us from a life of sin and an eternity of punishment. And we need to rejoice in that and give him praise for that. He didn't save us because he had to, but he chose to because he loved us. He gave us grace upon grace and that we do not deserve. Nothing we add or no other fault, what other false teachers say, nothing like that can benefit our salvation. It can't bring us salvation. Only Christ, because only he is enough. Because Christ, And because Christ is enough, he demands a decision. He demands to know where we stand. Do we serve people or do we serve the living God who's delivered us from death and who's the final answer to our salvation? Paul knew who to serve. I hope that we know who to serve. Let's pray, and then I'll hand back over to the musicians. Father, I just thank you that...